0: Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Nicole Franklin.
1: And I'm Bryant Monte. And today on KBLA TARC 1580, we get to talk about longevity in both career and life. Our guest is the amazingly talented Terry Carter.
0: Who would have thought that I would be a part of a platform that does justice to my longtime friend, Terry Carter, who has had an incredible career in film, television, Broadway, and was the first black male news anchor at WBZ-TV Boston. Bryant, this was 1965, so Terry was the first African-American news anchor in Boston and in the country.
1: Love it. I'm glad to meet you, Terry, as well. Hello, sir.
2: And
0: the pleasure is all mine. Hey, Terry, and I'd like to wish you a happy belated birthday. You are a friend of mine who has recently turned 93 years old. Thank Amen. you. are <laughs> <laughs> always kind of like at the forefront of new mediums, it seems like.
2: Oh, I don't know, but always is, a, is an absolute word. I don't know. I, I, I better back off of that.
0: Okay. Most of Terry's career, I would say, you're at the forefront of new platforms
2: i would say much of there we story. go <laughs>
0: much cool no I,
1: I, I have to ask about how did you get the opportunity to be the first black anchor in the united states that's how did a that good question how did that happen
2: you know that's a very good question and strangely enough nobody asked me that in all of these years it happened in 1965 65 and what is that? That's 50, uh, almost 56, 60 years ago. Yeah. Nobody's ever asked me that. So I've never really had to think about it. So now you're making me think about it. Hmm. Uh, oh, I know what happened. Yes. Yes, I know what happened. People knew me as an actor. Mm-hmm. in And I was in New York and I happened to run into a guy who was a producer at WBZ Boston. And he knew they were looking for a newscaster replacement, he got this idea. And he sat me down and talked to me, and uh, he said, "What do you think?" I he said, "I'll contact them, and so on, so and so and so." On. And I said, "Sure, what the hell, you know?" So next thing I know, uh, I got a call from Boston. And they asked me, "Would I be interested in flying up and giving it a, a try?" So sure, I went up, and I. Auditioned for them, and uh, apparently I put the right words in the right places. And, uh, next thing you know, I had this job.
1: Did, did you like it? What was it like for you when you first stepped in and said, "Wow, I might be the only black person ever doing this"? Well, at this stage in, in the history.
2: Well, the the the, uh, the feeling of the uh, the idea of being the only black person doing it had no effect on me whatsoever. Everybody treated me normally as i imagine they would treat everybody else but i did have there were there were certain incidents that happened i can tell you about yes what 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 were some of those okay george wallace who was the governor of alabama remember him
1: yes infamously
2: yes (laughs) 1967 or thereabouts he came to boston for whatever reason he came to boston and somebody at the station had this great idea hey let's have terry interview george uh what's the
0: name
2: george wallace george wallace george, thank you <laughs> that's what happened when you're 93. <laughs> <laughs> so uh they asked me they said okay here's your assignment Terry you say do you go out to such and such hotel and and uh, meet the i said uh george wallace the governor he said yeah i said no no i'm, I'm not fine. i said no you don't understand you the car's waiting. Just jump in the car. I said, "No, I'm not doing that." I said, "Why not?" We had a big to do. I said, "I, am not going to go there and be his pawn because it, I was not stupid enough to think that I'm going to be on an equal footing with a, a, a racist with anybody who's mm-hmm. a governor to be with, whether he's black or white or you know whatever. Uh, so I know he's going to be using. He'll be using me." And I I I won't be accomplishing what I was there to do, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I didn't want to be him, be used by George Wallace. I told him I refused to go. So they they ne- never had anybody refuse to do a job before, you know, because of, I guess there's no reason. <laughs> so they call the, uh, the management and whatnot, and you know, and uh, I said no. I'm not I, if it cost me my job, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. Hmm. Have no interest whatsoever in interviewing George Wallace. That was the end of that. So, so you sorry, didn't I, do it. I didn't do it. No, I didn't do. It. Hell no. Hell no. You didn't. <laughs> All right, no, Terry. Wouldn't that be stupid? I mean, think about think about it objectively. You got a a little whether he's a freshman. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It could be uh, a world famous. There are there are people who are journalists who are who have, you know have a certain amount of background or whatnot who could probably go knee to knee with George Wallace, but I don't think they'd accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. What is what is it to be accomplished? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, who was, I was relatively a nobody, I didn't want to be put in that position so he could, you know, climb all over me. And I refused to do it. And even if it cost me my job, It would, I, I would not hesitate. So that was the end of that.
1: Yeah. How, how long did you work that job?
2: Three years. Mm-hmm. Three years. I, I had a three-year contract. Yeah, but I got to tell you how it ended. Yeah, please. (laughs) I was uh, approached by an Italian uh, producer um, to do a part in an Italian film.
0: Mm.
2: But I'm still known as an actor, you know, and uh, so I had to ask them to give me a leave of absence for my work as an act as a newscaster to go and do this job 12 weeks in London. A movie called Neresu Bianco, and I was supposed okay. to play the male lead. I mean, this is crazy. Out of nowhere, it happened, cool. but I didn't want to turn it down because I said that's where I really want to be. I mean, if they want to take me and, and I lose the job at WNW at WBZ, I'll, I'll I'll do it without hesitation. You know, you have options. You mm-hmm. work with options. When your option is up, you're either renewed or you're not. So they didn't renew me, and I wasn't surprised. That was the end of that was that your sorry was that
0: your first european film terry yes it
2: was my first european film absolutely my first european
0: film that's a cool cool story thanks terry for telling us and uh if and anyone out there listening is a super fan of one of terry's early hits as an actor on battlestar galactica you'll want to stick around more when we return
1: And we're back with our guest, actor and filmmaker, Terry Carter. Now, education seems to be a priority in your early life. Can you tell us where did that come from? Was it your mom, your dad, family, always pushed education?
2: My mother wanted me to be a doctor, you know, a lawyer. You know, I was an only child. You know. So uh, I, went to, I went to law school. And uh, I didn't quite finish because of what, uh, certain things that came up. Mm-hmm. Fortunate things. I there's an organization called the National Council for Arts, Sciences and Professions. Mm-hmm. And it was a conglomeration of people who were professional obviously professional uh, in theater, outside of theater, in in uh, law, in medicine, I guess and whatnot. And um I don't know why but I joined that organization and getting into the organization I met some actors. And one was a man named Howard de Silva. And another one was Morris Karnowski. Now, these are names that probably mean nothing to you young folks, but your <laughs> grandparents types or your parents. <laughs> but
0: legends in the acting and world. Theater world.
2: world. They, were big, they were big names, particularly in, in, uh, on Broadway. Mm-hmm. They were me- members of this group. And somehow or another, we gravitated toward each other. We talked to each other. And Howard said to me, hey, he said, listen, why don't you, uh, I'll give you a scholarship. Why don't you come over and take some acting lessons? Ah. And uh, I don't know why I said, yes, I want the hell? You know, he's going to give me free, he's giving me a scholarship and whatever. And, and I actually, just between you and me, uh, acting is a little, little more exciting than law, you know.
0: <laughs> so, uh, I imagine so.
2: I somehow, yeah, I don't know how it happened, but I got involved with, with an off-roadway group mm-hmm. in Greenwich Village, acting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I landed a role in a play. That's a long story. I mean, how, how long a story do you, how much time have you got? <laughs> well, uh-huh.
0: we always have time for you. But um, some of your stories uh, that might bring some history of New York, because you grew up in Brooklyn, and then you ended up, I guess, at this point in Greenwich
2: Village. Well, the Brooklyn part is, I mean, I grew up in a, what can I tell you? We were the only black family in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an Italian neighborhood. Which one, which neighborhood were you in? Williamsburg.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Williamsburg is all hot right now, right?
2: As I said, we were the only, we were the only black family in the neighborhood. So I was the only black kid in the school. In fact, when I, when they put me in school, I was the only black kid in PS 88. Only black kid in the whole school. Goodness. How about that?
0: Was that tough? I mean, were, did you have no, to fight?
2: No, no, it was fine. It was fine. As a matter of fact, I did my first acting job in school. That wasn't a job. Somehow uh-huh. they were putting on a play in the auditorium and they cast me as uh, Vittorio, uh, uh, Vasco da Gama, the great explorer. Mm. And I, somewhere or another, I have a photograph of me in, in costume playing that <laughs> role. But, you know, it was a children's play, so you couldn't expect a great deal of, you know, we oh, have no. to get that photo. I spent, you know, my youth in that neighborhood. And my father, see, my father, well, my father was kind of a self-made man. He, he taught himself how to build and uh, analyze radios. So we got into the radio business. Wow. He, spent, he made his living by repairing people's radios. Mm-hmm. But then when, when World War II came along, we had a thing that we never had before called re- refrigeration refrigeration, a new thing. Instead of having the ice man bring ice on his shoulder and dumping it in your ice box, you can have refrigeration. So my father taught himself refrigeration. There was a thing called popular mechanics it's a magazine mm-hmm. it
1: was oh yeah,
2: helpful. and he taught himself how to be a, uh, a mechanic. and he opened a business and he did very well.
0: Well, my grandfather actually was an ice man. Is that right? Yeah. (laughs) He's an ice man who became a fireman. (laughs) Wow. But now that makes sense. I didn't know he was an ice man because you had to be. Like, yeah, true. it's true. Refrigeration wasn't around forever.
2: Are you kidding? Yeah.
0: (laughs) So acting was in your blood then because you did it in school. You had this early role at eight years old. We we got to find that that
2: photo. I just remember doing it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but, I mean, you took to it later yeah. in life. Yes. So once we were at that um, Greenwich Village Theater that was off-Broadway, did you have aspirations to be on Broadway then? Um, I know well, I did I when just I was inspired,
2: younger. But... <laughs> I just aspired to get a good role. I mean, you know, at least I didn't think that way. And I didn't think in those days people thought about, oh, I'm going to get on Broadway or I'm going to go to Hollywood or something like that. Hmm. I wanna play that role that uh, someone uh, is offering, you know? So I worked at that theater for maybe two or three years and a number of well-known people came out of that theater.
0: Well, when did you make the transition to screen?
2: Well, when I think when one day I'm walking up Sixth Avenue in New York and I a guy, a producer who knew me called me and said, oh, no, 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 it's not that. No, it was an actor. I remember who it was now. He said, hey, Terry, he says, uh, you know, we got into a conversation. He says, hey, they're looking for a guy to, to, to be in this well He was a he was a member of the uh, uh, bilco show, you know, and he knew that they were looking for somebody, a black guy. He said, why don't you come up, come up and uh, talk to him and fill Silvers and stuff like that. So I said, okay, what the hell, why not? Next thing you know, I was in the cast, <laughs> and uh, that was a great experience. Lovely people, Joel yeah. Silver is the best,
0: you know. Yeah, being on screen. High. Yeah, I guess you know millions more people see you than on the stage. Although yeah. um, back to New York stage, were you in town and around when James L. Jones was working and Sydney Poitier sure, and all that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so yeah, let's let's name some of your compadres there. Sydney Mm-hmm. right? Belafonte, I guess. You always no, were weren't you compared to Belafonte a lot?
2: No, I was never compared to Belafonte. But the one thing ha- that did happen was both Belafonte and I were up for, for the same role. Mm-hmm. Otto Preminger was was casting uh, Carmen Jones, mm. the the um, American version of Carmen, the opera Carmen. Remember the uh, and. Um, I don't know how far i got but i mean i sang for Otto preminger but he chose out uh, he chose uh, harry so that was the end of that yeah <laughs> so it was a great experience
1: you
2: know
1: i i gotta ask you know i grew up in theater my uh grandmother started the black theater troupe in phoenix arizona uh-huh. back in 1969 1970 uh kind of just started off as a talent shows uh in the park and then she got a endowment got for the arts and End up getting a, a building, a board, and it, it really grew, and it it was it was uh, I mean it's still standing strong today. Um, mm-hmm. so I got to ask you in terms of you know acting and theater and you know movies, of course, what what do you think was your key to success in in nailing some of these roles that you've had?
2: Being in the right place at the right time with the right stuff. Okay, I mean that's that's the say. I didn't make up that saying. That's something that's it has been said around me for years. And it, it, it is true, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you're the best actor for this role. It means you're the best actor who showed up, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. <laughs> for the audition.
1: <laughs> right. But, but I mean, you had to have, you know, some, some things that you fell back on in terms of experience and talent and oh, skills that you brought to the table. What are some of those things that you uh, share with young people, uh, What helped made you successful?
2: Well, I think one of the important things is I went to drama school. I went to acting school. I spent a lot of time in acting class. And I, I haven't mentioned this yet. But going to acting class is a very, very vital aspect of becoming an actor. Where you can experiment, where you can be made to do things that you didn't think you could do, and where you can do things better that you thought you were doing well. I would attribute any success I had to the to the uh, acting teachers I had. I, I was very lucky. I I would be sitting and name dropping if I started telling you some of the people who, who I had the good fortune of uh, working under.
0: And and so yeah, being at the right place at the right time. It seems like you didn't need an agent, because <laughs> <laughs> which is because you have this amazing career going from Phil Silver Show to McLeod. You were yeah. on for many years, Foxy Brown, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, but um, my, I did have, to.
2: I was with the William Morris Agency.
0: Oh, well, what? William Morris. Okay.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's pretty big.
2: Let me see. I guess 1970, when I moved, when I moved to L.A., I uh, signed with the William Morris Agency. And, uh...
0: and Terry, how was that moving to L.A.? Because there's a big, um, I guess, resistance from a lot of New York actors to leave New York and go to L.A. Um, it's kind of like you're rejecting New York in a way, although a lot of people get their chops in New York.
2: The answer to that question is it depends on the time and the person, because go- moving to L.A. in 1955 was a whole different ballgame from moving there in, let's say, 1965. Wow. You see, part of the thing is that uh, there were two areas of acting, one was acting on the stage, which is Broadway and off-Broadway. And then there was acting on film, which is LA. But then along came a thing called videotape. Mm. And that enabled the, the producers in New York, they weren't using film, but they were using tape. They we were making movies in a film manner and many of the things that we did that, that turned out to be fantastic were only done on videotape. I did a lot of videotape uh, work. I worked with James Mason on three was it two or three films? Yes, he played he played the part of uh, of John Brown. You know the, uh, the abolitionist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you remember your history. John Brown, Harper's yeah. Ferry. And it was, a, it was a thing called Playhouse 90. Now, Playhouse 90 was a show that came out of New York when it was done live. It was not done in the film, it was done live. So we went to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia with a whole a, a crew and a bunch of actors and whatnot. And I remember Ozzie Davis and I were the two main, we had the two main roles as black, black actors. So there was a part where Hollywood and and, and uh New York were in competition, depending on the medium of uh, production and uh, they did some wonderful things out out of New York. And... Oh, yes.
0: And before we leave New York, Terry, just want to ask, um, you were on Broadway with Eartha Kitt and mm-hmm. Viney Burroughs. Um, I I actually want Viney to come on our show sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Viney, please. But, Ertha Kitt, mm-hmm. um, I know our audience is interested in Miss Kitt. Any exciting stories or memorable, memorable stories from that time? <laughs>
2: uh-huh. No. None that I could tell you. I know, I know.
0: I know these stories, guys, but we can't show them on air.
1: I was trying to go the Those of us that don't know want to know. Uh, No, no, not true,
2: not true. No, we had a good relationship, um, Eartha and I. uh, Yes, you did. It was... (laughs) What can I tell you about it? I mean, it was was a good experience. It was my first Broadway uh, Broadway show. Wait, 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 Was it my first Broadway show? (laughs) No. <laughs> Wait one second. No, I got to think back because I also did Finian's Rainbow. Oh, I think Finian's Rainbow I did afterward. Yeah.
0: So okay. And what was the name of the show with Eartha Kitt and Viney? It was Mrs. Um.
2: My, uh, Mrs. Patterson.
0: Mrs. Patterson. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. And how did audiences take to that? So many black people on stage on Broadway. Was it a packed house? Yeah, was it a long
2: long we played the packed houses we were planning a big uh, tour and I can tell you about that, which I'll tell you part mm-hmm. that's probably not well known, but uh, the, the play was, uh, we were at the, um, what is now called a Nederlander theater. It was at that time called the National Theater on on um, uh, 40, 41st street and um, Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fact is that it, I, I don't like really to talk about other people's private life, but nonetheless, Eartha, and Arthur Lowe, you know, the Lowe's chair, uh, theater chain? Yes. Lowe? Okay, well, they had a son named Arthur Lowe. Mm-hmm. And she and he were having a big affair. Okay. But because of the black-white situation, it was, nobody knew about it. Mm. But they but they knew about it, you know. And, and uh, it, was a, it was rather torrid. And, um, I mean, I would be in her hotel room while she's talking with him on the long distance and hearing... More than I really wanted to hear. What was that? What was the question?
0: <laughs> I know you're like back in Eartha's hotel room. <laughs> Your mind oh, went back yeah. there. <laughs> so yeah. why didn't you guys take Mrs. Patterson on tour?
2: Well, we did. First of all, we did a tour before we did Broadway. We did. We did three weeks in uh, Detroit. In Detroit, okay. And we did seven weeks, as I recall, in Chicago. Nice. The Harris yeah, Theater really nice. and the Selwyn Theater. Before we came to Broadway, here's something that you don't know. After the like, oh, okay. Here's what I gotta tell you. <laughs> it's all coming to me now. <laughs> she was she was madly or love or with this guy. You know they have this. Whatever. I never I never met the guy. I don't know what their relationship was. None of my business. But I'm just telling you
0: mm-hmm.
2: as, as it appeared to me. But uh, the show closed on Broadway. We were supposed to go on tour, we were ready to go on tour. And she had um, not exactly a breakdown, but kind of an emotional breakdown. Mm. And then they had to close the show without, uh, go without notice. And that was the end of that. So uh, about two or three years later, they wanted to revive the show. And all of us, uh, Viney Burrows included, all of us, uh, m- most of us who were in the original show came back and we did, we did the show on tour in the uh, Catskills. So that was, that was Mrs. Patterson. So Mrs. Patterson ran its, you know, ran its course.
0: You decided to become a producer.
2: Mm-hmm. I gave up acting and uh, I formed a production company. And Terry, your
0: film on Catherine Dunham meant you were covering one of East St. Louis's most famous residents. Did that evolve from your work with um, the government on films? What, what was that work with the government? You had a contract to do documentaries for the U.S. government?
2: Yeah, I... I uh, Bill oh, Greaves well,
0: did, too. Did. You and Bill Greaves, I guess. Yeah, Bill Greaves had his own company. Right, and then you formed your own company to do this as and well, like, right? Well, my company, he and
2: I, in fact, we, we, uh, we, had company, we competed uh, to get uh, government contracts
0: oh wow <laughs> okay but yeah now i read you did like a hundred government films is that close to the number or i don't know
2: that i did a hundred hmm.
0: okay <laughs> you yeah. did many yeah I did many. <laughs> so did you take some of that experience into your own um production with katherine Dunham? this was a 20-part series
2: yeah well the thing is that um i i got to know a number of the dancers from in the Catherine Dunham uh, company long before <clears throat> we did the job and she did the dance part. She did, she, it was her choreography and her training and whatnot. I don't I, I just put it on film.
0: And why did you think it was important to document her in this way? Well,
2: her technique is something that is, is, ha, ha, it has a certain uniqueness about it. And there was a big demand across the country for people, from people who wanted to be exposed to her technique, you know, we ended up creating a a um, a video cassette, which we sold all over the country. Yeah, uh, she tapped um, into um,
0: that um, cultural spiritual um, movement style. Very energetic. It's it's incredible to watch, and it is quite
2: unique. That's to her credit. You know, it was a great opportunity for me. I mean, it was a wonderful challenge. First of all, Miss Dunham is one of the people that you. You know in, in life you meet people that you end up loving and, and they stay in your memory for the rest of your life and she's mm-hmm. one of them you know and she was great at what she did and um i was very lucky to be able to uh to get that uh role so i created this actually training documentary or 20 different exercises for her and uh we sold them all over the world and uh I still get requests for them.
0: Yeah, I know, um, because my sister took uh, the certification classes recently to teach Dunham technique. So this is a very formal um, and very serious discipline, the Dunham technique. Yes,
2: indeed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she lived till she was 97 years old, Miss Dunham.
2: I was just lucky enough to be able to be in the right place at the right time, and that's That's what it's all about in this business, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, right place, right time. I got to tell you, one of my favorite films of yours is a Duke named Ellington. Okay. What motivated you to do that incredible documentary?
2: Oh, okay. That's interesting. Well, in my travels to Denmark, I was married to a uh, a Norwegian, right? Mm -hmm. She was living in Denmark. We got together we married we lived in washington dc for a while but then we left and went to to denmark to copenhagen in copenhagen i discovered at the, there's one main broadcasting like you know cbs and they have this uh, they have this um treasure of of, of Ar- performances archives of, of, yeah of, you know, archive. I, thank you that's the word i was looking for archives and um what I, what I was told, I called, they didn't discover it, but somebody in, in the town had discovered it. They had an archive of a lot of Duke Ellington. You know, Duke Ellington spent a lot of time in Copenhagen. His son, um, uh, Mercer, married a Dane. And I, rem- I remember going to visit them during the making of the show, too. And they lived in, in Utrecht. So, um when I, when I saw what kind of footage there was of Ellington, I felt that we, we could make a series for them. And then I, I also I found out that uh, the American Masters...
0: So American Masters is in the US PBS.
2: American Masters PBS, yes, mm-hmm. yes. So I found that there was enough footage that had never been seen in the United States of, of Ellington playing in different parts of the world. Hmm and I was able to put it together to make a series. I pitched it to American masses, they loved it, and uh, so we did it, it was a two hour show. And I I ended up showing it in different parts of the world. I took it to China. I went to five cities in China, I took it to Japan, I took it to um, uh, a lot of places, let's let's put it that way.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. And I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that we worked together in Norway, because yes. I could not have done my film on Anne Brown, Anne Wiggins Brown, the original Bess of Poor and Bess, yes. unless I knew I had a crew. <laughs> I mean, I was being sent sure. to Norway, a country I'd never been before. Her biography was in Norwegian, so I couldn't mm-hmm. read it before I got there. And then mm-hmm. I had to have a crew, a local crew. I couldn't bring a crew with me. I brought my DP with me, right. um, Henry Bonajos. So shout out to Henry. <laughs> we oh, went wow. over, and it was because you and your wife at the time, the wonderful Beata, who is an amazing production manager, um, I-, I couldn't have done the film without you. Had to get lights, had to get props, had to get everything, and make Miss Brown comfortable. And we had to meet her, had to get her to fall in love with uh, the crew. Um, yes. and, and we also brought Bill Brown, Doctor Bill Brown from the United States. So she had to fall in love with us, trust us, and get everything her entire story in four days. <laughs> So that was going to be a challenge, except <laughs> Norway, Oslo, had that extended day. We were there in August, so we were able to film in sunlight till like 930 at night.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and it was nice. so great to have my friend Terry there. Oh, my gosh. That that made it for me. Thank and, of course, so. the rest of our crew. But, Terry, that was so terrific. Aren't you sweet? It was, I literally could not have done it <laughs> unless you were there.
1: Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I, I also wanted to ask you, uh, Mr. Carter. Um, in yeah, terms of yeah. all the places that you visited yeah. and places that you've lived, do you have a favorite area or place?
2: Uh, yeah. I suppose you could say I, I love Italy. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love being in Italy. I spent a lot of time in Italy. I was married to an Italian woman.
0: Where did you live in Italy? In in Rome. Oh, Rome. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, we yeah. travel a
2: lot. We traveled
0: a great deal, and then um, you and I and our friends went to Brazil.
2: because
0: yeah. Um, yeah, we showed your film there, the Duke named Ellington, and a, a bunch of films from the Black Documentary Collective. Um, yes. You know, full disclosure: Terry and I are founding members of the Black Documentary Collective, a, a group that we love and adore. It's family back in New York. A group of filmmakers. Um, yeah, we were in Rio de Janeiro, and and um, Rio received the films very very well. So. You've done films in different countries. I think you did a soap opera in a um, overseas. Where was that?
2: When I, when I was living in in, uh, in uh, Norway, so I, I had a, a I played the father of a woman who's one of the leads of the show. Oh, a thing called a hotel Caesar, and this woman, black woman, uh, Ethiopian woman, owned the hotel, and I was her father. <laughs> so, I can see that.
0: So yeah, so I know you're big on having um, people of color represented equally. Do you feel like black um, actors had had opportunity more overseas than they did here in the U.S. or
2: vice no, versa? No, not more. I mean, they can hardly. I mean, all all um, plays, all drama, all theater grows out of reality, and, and the reality that is expressed that that, that is part of. Living in America is what makes the movies here. Hmm. Since there are fewer black people living, let's say in Greece or in or in uh, Holland or something yeah, like right. that, There's not not likely to be a lot yeah. of movies about them, including them. But
1: but did you find that they were more welcoming to you than in the United States?
2: Uh, I can't say that I uh, noticed any difference. I mean, I, I I found people welcoming everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have any problem with people in the United States.
0: It's that Terry <laughs> Carter smile and charm. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> back with more Terry Carter when we return.
1: And we're back with Battlestar Galactica's own Terry Carter. So what was that project like?
2: <laughs> well, personally, I think I should tell you how I got the part in Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Uh, I was cast in the role room- of... If, I don't know if many of your listeners have seen the show but I was part of, I was originally supposed to be a Lieutenant Boomer. Mm. And Lieutenant Boomer was a kind of a a jock who you know jumped in his plane and went off and did adventurous things. What happened is one day I was living in California of course in near uh, near the beach and I was out with my daughter this is real life now. Mm-hmm. She was six years old or something. And we were walking near the beach, and the, the, the sidewalk was very rocky and broken. And I said, Be careful, Melinda, I said, you don't want to hurt yourself. And being so concerned about her, my shoe skate, I, we were wearing shoe skates in those days. And not, not, not the days, but you rented shoe skates. That's what people did in that area. So you know what a shoe skate is. I it's do a,
0: not. Can you explain that?
2: <laughs> I put that look on your face. Uh, it's a skate. You know what a skate is, right? Yes. Four and it's built into a shoe. If you ever went oh, to- a shoe skate. Yes, if you ever went to a skating rink, you would be wearing shoe skates. I used
0: to skate at a skating rink in St. Louis. Saints. Shout out oh. to Saints. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> you did have, uh, shoe skates, huh? So anyway, the, 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 the sidewalk was very messed up. And my wheels went down into this hole and and they got trapped and i fell over and it broke my ankle Oh no! and this is about three or four weeks before we were supposed to start with battlestar galactica and i was supposed to play the part of lieutenant boomer you know this young jock with his uh fighter plane etc etc and so i had to call my agent and i I broke my ankle I, i should say my ankle was broken i had to be carried to the ambulance, carried to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we got to call the studio. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the most important part, right? If that's more important, but the part more important than my leg, right? Or your
0: daughter so, who's probably freaked out her dad ended up on the well, sidewalk.
2: <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't her leg, you know?
0: Yeah. So
2: their re- response at the studio, well, gee, we got to replace him in a hurry. You know, I mean, they, they didn't rush down with flowers or anything like that. <laughs> you know, They wanted mm. to get the show on it. And here I am I'm sitting at home with my leg in a cast. I said, you know, that's showbiz, right?
0: Oh.
2: Next thing I know, yeah. my agent calls and says, Terry, they want to know if you're willing to play Colonel Ty. I said, what? Not Colonel Ty, he was second in command of the damned uh, sh- ship. Of the ship, yay. And it was not, I mean, didn't mention... He was Negro or any of that stuff. You know, they don't know. Does the role? Mm-hmm. I said, uh, yeah, sure, why not? Because what happened was by this time it was like three weeks after the incident. My my leg was in a cast. We, you know, it was wrapped up way above the ankle in a cast. So they come up with this idea since the, the, the people playing the roles had to wear uniforms, right? Mm-hmm. And part of the uniform was a boot. So. Instead, on one leg, they put my, my a boot, and the other, they wrapped it in black velour so that it would look like a boot. And I was able to play, do the pilot, walk up and down stairs, <laughs> trying to not, you know, not that's great with my, with my broken ankle. Hmm. And, of course, after that, it healed, and, every, and everything was fine. So I became second in command of the Battlestar Galactica, just like that. By <laughs> you know, we have a expression in, in showbiz, break a leg. <laughs> uh, literally <laughs> <laughs> you literally did.
0: did
1: I broke a leg
0: and, uh, <laughs> Terry you mentioned that you want to talk about uh, Diane Carroll and Pam Greer tell us some stories
2: Well, yes, please I mean I've had the uh, pleasure of working with two beautiful and very talented uh, women and I I just want to remember it you know <laughs> So, Consider it. remembered. Uh, with Diane Carroll, I played her boyfriend, Bert. Mm-hmm. I think I did about five episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Julia, we're talking about Julia, right?
0: Yes. Did she feel like she had to carry that? Was there a lot of pressure on her? I
2: I, I can't say that I was aware of it.
0: Okay, she handled it with ease.
2: Yeah, I I, I got the feeling she did. Yeah, yeah. and I, uh, uh, I had to work with Nancy Wilson. That was oh, I love business. Nancy Wilson.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she's a knockout, Nancy
2: Wilson. Yes, she is. is.
0: (laughs) So, Pam Greer, you're talking about Foxy Brown?
2: Foxy Brown, yes. That's the only thing we did. And then we we were brought together about, I guess, a couple years ago at the Lincoln Center. They did a kind of a reunion thing where she and I really haven't seen each other in many years, you know, so... We got together. It was kind
0: of nice. I'm sure. So, Terry, I mean, I got to say, you're very handsome. And I always say you look like a man who does 10 push-ups every morning. Who
2: says I do 10 push-ups every morning?
0: You look like a guy who does... First of all, I'm
2: 93 years old. Yes. Secondly, I do 20 push-ups every morning.
0: Woo, okay.
2: <laughs> Not a lot, because when I was younger, I used to do many, many more. I'm afraid to stop, you know?
1: And, and just speak, speaking of longevity, what, what has been the the secret for you
2: i don't know i mean i don't drink except I, I, I happen to love okay i'm going to make a public declaration i love heineken beer <laughs> like it. i mean i just drink one bottle i'll have 12 ounces of heineken i'm good for the day you know i i, I used to drink more wine when i was married to an italian particularly
1: yeah. sure. red or white red or white red
2: wine? i drank red
0: i, I prefer red <laughs> Ryan, you like wine. Which is it, is it, red or white for you?
1: Uh, white, I guess the white. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to ask. You know, you've done so much. You've been so many places. I mean, do you go back and reflect on those things that you have accomplished, and and what really resonates in your mind and heart that you're proud of or most proud of? Would you say?
2: Some some people think that acting is just you know get up and say the lines and whatnot, I think. but it shows. It shows that if you're not bringing the passion and the the reality that is created inside of your chest and, and making and, and bringing it forth it, it just doesn't have a great deal of meaning but um i think it's a wonderful uh, world i'm lucky to have been part of it very lucky to have been part of it
0: yeah you never phoned it in
2: <laughs> no <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so that's it terry
2: fantastic <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you guys are doing a wonderful
0: thing. Thank you.
1: Thank you you so much.
0: What a career.
1: Definitely. And to our listeners, let's get some more of this history on record. And we want to hear from you about the history makers in your circles.
0: Yes, we have history through first-person accounts here at Before You Go. Our guests also love fan mail. So drop us a line at beforeyougo.tv. That's the website, beforeyougo.tv. And we'll share your thoughts with them.
1: And before we go, we
0: want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away.
1: Just pick up the phone and make that call.
0: There's no time like the present. What What a a a gift. gift!